Good morning. So thankful that you are joining with us today. My name is Jason, one of the guys on the team. Want to add my welcome to Johnny's welcome. Whether you're here in person or online, we're thrilled you're hanging out. We know that there are a lot of places that you could be today, many churches that you could be a part of. So the fact that you're joining us here at Fellowship, we never take that for granted. If you are a guest and you have questions about Fellowship Greenville, you can stop by our first time guest center out in the commons and uh, there's some friendly folks there. would love to meet you, answer any questions that you might have. There's also a QR code in the seat in front of you. You can do that and it'll take you to our website and you can learn more about fellowship. You can also fill out a guest card there if that is your preference. If fellowship is home and you're looking for a way to get more involved in your church in 2022, the Next Step Center is also out in the commons and there you can get all the information you're looking for. Examples would be, hey, we've been talking about it, Jason, and we think we're ready to actually join the church. Like we would like to be a member here at Fellowship Greenville. You can get more information about the next membership class, which I think is coming up in April. You go, April, I gotta wait that long? Well, that's because we just had one last Sunday night. Over 50 people were there. It was a fantastic time. But if you're interested in becoming a member, you can get more information about that out there. You might wanna become, uh, be a part of a community group. You go, this is kind of a big place and I would like to know some people. A community group would be a great way to get plugged in and uh, you can get more information about community groups out there. If you wanna serve in some capacity, you might've recently been talking with someone and said, I feel like I just kind of show up and that's about all I do and I would like to get plugged in and serve, next steps would be the place to go. What I'm trying to say is, whatever the step, next steps is the place. So stop by there if you would like to. To kick off 2022 here at Fellowship on Sunday mornings, we've been walking through our seven core values. Before we jump back into uh, working our way through books of the Bible, it's typically what we're doing on Sunday mornings. That will happen again starting later in February, but we're walking through our seven core values to kick off the new year. And uh, today we're going to be looking at advancing the gospel as a part of our missional impact Sunday, formerly known as outreach Sunday, now known as missional impact Sunday, tied in with our core value of advancing the gospel. And now you understand. A few things I'm celebrating though, before we get into all of that, and it's gonna be a great morning as Johnny has already alluded to, there's a lot of different moving pieces, but they're all great pieces. Before we get to that, there's just a few things I've been celebrating that I wanted to share with you. And honestly, I had planned to share it a few uh, weeks ago at Snow Apocalypse, but it happened. And so I didn't get a chance to, so here we go. Uh, earlier this month on Sunday evening, January the 9th, the Upstate Church Collective officially launched as a reminder, this is a new endeavor, a strategic partnership between Fellowship Greenville, Summit Church, and some other churches actually already joining in. It's a discipleship, lay leadership development pathway. Like that's what we're committed to as pastors and leaders. We want to intentionally equip disciples who make disciples to invest in any of you who are interested in growing in leadership within the local church. Also, as a reminder, part of the collective, we're gonna raise up church planters, Lord willing, and church planting teams, church revitalizers, and church revitalizing teams. Uh, we have five churches represented in the collective, already local churches here in the upstate that are a part of the collective here in year one. And between participants and coaches, we have 75 people who are involved. And so we're really excited about that. And I also wanted to say thank you to so many of you who gave uh, at the end of last year, like above and beyond what you normally give here at Fellowship. We have seen about $900,000 come in towards the collective with even more pledge to come in. And so we're super thankful. With those funds, we will continue to think strategically, prayerfully about where the Lord would have us begin to move in regards to church planting and church revitalization and all those sorts of things. So we're excited about what's to come, but I wanted to give a quick update on that. Speaking of generosity, thank you to so many of you who have been giving a, just with hands open. You've been so kind and so generous. Here at Fellowship, our fiscal year runs from um, July through June. And so we just obviously came through December, so we're kind of at that halfway point. I wanted to let you know that at the halfway point, we're $390,000 ahead of budgeted giving, which is incredible. So thank you so much for that. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for living generously and living with your hands open. I don't share that so that all of you can go, well, they sound like they, it's good, it's fine, it's fine. Um, I do share that because there is this, you know, expectation as the Lord continues to bless, like we have been blessed to be a blessing. That's how we've always thought about it. That's how we talk about it. If the Lord is putting resources into our hands, we are thinking strategically about where those resources should go. 
So thank you for doing that. And we are expectant in this new year of ministry and how the Lord would use us in our city, in our uh, state, in our nation, and in the world. And as a matter of fact, what I just said, advancing the gospel is uh, one of the ways, one of the things we're celebrating today. And we're doing that by looking at our local and, and global partners that we have, our ministry partnerships, and uh, how so many folks that call Fellowship Greenville home are being intentional in the places that the Lord has uh, put them. As we look at some of these encouraging stories from our partners and learn more about the why we do what we do in regards to missions here at Fellowship, I would love for you to be asking yourself this question throughout the morning. What are you praying about that is in step with the mission of God for the glory of God that only God can do? What are you currently praying about that is in step with the mission of God for the glory of God that only God can do. And as you're pondering that question, and since we have a lot of new folks that are with us or part of the fellowship family, we wanna give you a little bit, a quick video that shares a bit of Fellowship Greenville's desire to join God's grand story of redemption. Turn your attention to the screens and enjoy. Recently, we've been digging around in the archives of our church history, getting more and more excited about Fellowship Greenville's missional DNA. In the 1940s, a core group of believers who attended Augusta Road Baptist Church broke away and established our church. The split occurred in part because the Southern Baptist Convention prevented Augusta Road from supporting missionaries who had not graduated from certain schools. That was a problem because this group of believers wanted to support independent missionaries whose doctrine they agreed with. And so it was that from its inception, one of the key values of our church is the importance of reaching the world for Christ because the gospel is for everyone. Almost immediately after opening the doors of this church in 1946, they sent Percy and Sarah Bala to Brazil. By 1953, they were backing four local and five global missionaries. And within 35 years, they were supporting 80 missionaries around the globe. Since the 1990s, we've honed our strategy to partner with organizations globally and locally, generously sharing our resources so others could experience the same hope we've found in Jesus. And those partnerships have only expanded and grown stronger since that time. Thank you. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you, Fellowship Greenville. Namaste. Today, God continues to call us to roll up our sleeves and pour out our hearts that our city and the world might come to understand the good news of the gospel, that our only hope as exiles in this world is found in God's story. So what will our next 70 years look like? With God's blessing, we pray that each one of us will be experiencing more and more of Jesus and more of a passion to share his story. No matter the size or shape of our church, the greatest resource we have to share with others is God's story of what Jesus has done for each one of us and for everyone we come in contact with. Please join us in discovering how each one of us can pray, serve, and spread God's good news that the gospel really is for everyone. Good morning. Great to see you today. Uh, I'm Charlie Boyd, and I'm the directional leader here at uh, Fellowship Greenville. And uh, you might not know this, but I'm actually the mission pastor as well. I've been a mission pastor for a while now, and uh, my heart for missions, though, goes way back to when I first came here back in 1996. And I got involved right away in uh, looking at our mission policy and rewriting some of it. And then over the years, I have uh, shaped the overall strategy of missions uh, that's at the heart of Fellowship Greenville. But I gotta tell you, I have a great team of people that I work with. Actually, Cassandra Martin, who is our missional impact director, she is the engine behind everything that happens here, both locally and globally. So if I'm kind of the compass that points in the direction, she's the engine that makes it all uh, happen. And Cassandra, Unfortunately, is home uh, sick today, and she hates not being here. Uh, she uh, actually wrote a lot of the things that I'm going to be sharing uh, this morning. But um, 
Cassandra also works, and uh, part of our, this amazing team that we have, uh, Cassandra works closely with Jana Johnson and Beth Schaffner. And uh, these three women have incredible uh, vision and they have hearts of compassion as they work together to care for our existing missionaries and support our mission partners around the world and interview potential new missionaries and mission organizations and they uh, manage the mission budget. Now, as you can tell from the previous video, uh, advancing the gospel by joining God where he's already working, that's a part of our DNA. It's been part of our DNA since the inception of the church. And again, we do believe that the gospel is for everyone. We believe that because of what Jesus has done for us through his death and resurrection, we become new creations in Christ. And that by faith, we are reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus. And we believe that advancing the gospel means that as followers of Jesus, we're, already, uh, we're always ready to offer the same message of reconciliation to any person with whom we come into contact with. Romans chapter 10 verse 12 tells us that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And 2 Corinthians 5 19 tells us that God has called every Christ follower into the ministry of reconciliation, helping connect people to God and God to people. Now our missional impact team seeks uh, to help us all uh, be a part of this ministry of reconciliation that advances the gospel both here and around the world. And uh, our missional impact team helps us specifically by mobilizing and equipping church family, this church family to serve with no expectation of return, as you hear us say so often, we, by collaborating with local and global partners, and by celebrating God's work wherever we see it happening. And that's what we're doing today. We're gonna celebrate a little bit about what God has been doing in places where we've been able to join him at work. But, but we also have another objective this morning, and that is that by sharing with you a bit of the philosophy and strategy that drives the ideas and actions of our missional impact team, our hope and our prayer is that you will walk away this morning with a clear understanding of why our team operates the way it does and how we believe that the gospel is advanced through the process. We believe that the strategies that we use, we believe they'll make sense to you and hopefully they will create an undercurrent of excitement in you. And as a result, again, our prayer is that you will wanna become more personally involved in missional impact in and through Fellowship Greenville. So we're gonna celebrate, and first of all, we're gonna celebrate by introducing you to a new partner, our newest mission partner, and that is Homes of Hope. And in the video that you're about to watch, you're gonna see how Homes of Hope uh, not only helps provide um, affordable housing for lower income families, but also Homes of Hope is about training and discipling men coming out of addiction and who, uh, these guys who just need a second uh, chance. And so give your attention to the screens. My name is Don Oglesby. I'm the CEO of Homes of Hope. The Homes of Hope, our mission and vision for South Carolina is generational change. Over the last 23 years, we've grown to become the largest developer of single-family affordable housing in the state, making housing and energy costs affordable for low-wealth families. Our workforce development program has transformed the lives of over 300 men formerly addicted that has equipped them now for successful careers in the construction industry. Our economic development work has created workforce training opportunities as well as small business growth. Together, all of these have produced numerous neighborhood and community revitalization successes, intentionally creating communities of mixed income and providing for economic mobility. Uh, Tuesday night. I've never seen it rain that bad here, but that night was pretty bad. But I woke up and it was raining, thundering, and then all of a sudden a big boom. 
and I look to my right, and there's a back room where we have in the back of the house, and I'm able to see outside. So I, I call my mom as fast as I could, and I'm like, Mom, I can see outside from inside. So that's when I said, what did you just say? He said, there's a tree in the house, and I can see outside. So I said, that's when I immediately told him to get out of the house. She said, get out as quick as you can, go to your car, get, get out of the, the area. I was traumatized, and I was just praying to God. I said, God, what happened? Like, ooh, like, I could have died that night. When I come home and saw the house, it was un unreal. I mean, the hole was, you could see across the neighborhood. That's how big it was. So I just couldn't believe it. And I'm thinking, Lord, what in the world are we going to do? But you know, I, even at that moment, I knew God had us. I knew he had us. Everything is, happens for a reason, so I felt like God said, it's time to go. So we had to go. I got in touch with Homes of Hope, and the rest is history. Here we are. When we first walked into the house as a family, I felt at peace. I knew this was of God, and this is where we were supposed to be. It felt right, and it was on time. Oh, I love it here. It's so peaceful and quiet, and everybody, you know, they're friendly. Just the whole setup of it. I, I just love it. I love coming home now. It's, it's amazing. That's all I have to say. It's amazing. So you might be wondering, you know, how, do we, how do we choose Homes of Hope to partner with? And that's a great question. And uh, that gives me a chance to share our local strategy, how we think about what we do. And so on the screen, you're going to see a graphic that uh, outlines for us our priorities when it comes to serving uh, locally. And so these are our objectives. We want to serve the vulnerable in our community, also to serve small churches and under-resourced areas. We want to be involved in relief and development and also in investing in the next generation. And all of these are very important categories for us. And two of our local partners uh, are uh, uh, assisting both vulnerable individuals and smaller churches that work in vulnerable communities. And, and, and we define vulnerable populations as groups of men and women and children who are currently in need, foster children and abused children, men and women coming out of addictions who have been sex trafficked or who have experienced the trauma of domestic violence or sexual abuse, they all fall into this category. And we know that Fellowship Greenville can be a helpful financial resource to both other churches and organizations that work with vulnerable populations like this on a daily uh, basis. And uh, so our goal has been to create a very thorough vetting process that gives us the confidence that these organizations that we're partnering with, our churches we're partnering with, not only are effective in doing what they say they are uh, about, but also that they are effective in advancing the gospel in our communities. Now, another of the local priorities is that we want to be available to respond to immediate needs as they arise in our community, and we look for opportunities to give towards different development strategies that actually break the cycles of addiction and poverty and abuse and oppression. And then finally, we look for ways to invest in the next uh, generation. And we do this in a variety of ways. Sometimes we collaborate with uh, our student ministry here at the church. Um, we uh, help out with the uh, Pine, uh, the church in the, no, the camp in the city, uh, Pine Cove ministry that comes here every summer. Or we find local partners 
in our area like One Life and the OLX program up in Marietta that focus on discipling and equipping the next generation. Now our local strategy is very similar to our global one and in keeping with that whole quadrant um, system, that kind of guides us when, again, when we are looking at people who we're going to support or we're considering supporting, these quadrants, these goals, these objectives, our priorities are these. Equipping uh, for global engagement and then serving national pastors, uh, relief and uh, development. Uh, a lot of it is uh, sometimes it's disaster relief for uh, we, like we have a group in Kentucky, working up in Kentucky, and then we also do the same kind of thing with global partners who are developing and implementing um, uh, relief ministries and, uh, and, and also disaster relief in different parts of the world. And then we, are, we give ourselves to caring and supporting our 27 missionaries who are actually advancing the gospel around the world, and you can see that uh, I love this map because uh, you can see visually exactly the kind of global impact that uh, Fellowship Greenville has around the world. In our next video, you'll catch a glimpse of one of these national pastors. Gorin uh, and Metka Makura believe they've been called to plant a church in Slovenia, and we've been working with them via Zoom for about two years. And Goran's story of coming out of darkness into light is a powerful one. And Metka uh, brings a ton of children's ministry experience to their church planting efforts. And of course, over the last couple years with, with what's been going on with COVID, that's proven to be a, a challenge. But the Macuras are an amazing couple who believe that God is going to raise up a church in Damzali. And Cassandra and, and Jana uh, meet with both Gorn and Metka every month. And uh, they meet with them to talk with them about what's going on, on there and to, to pray with them. So uh, give your attention to the screens again. This is Gorn and Metka. is placed in the center of Slovenia. There is approximately 12,000 people living in Domžale. There is no evangelical church. There is only one Roman Catholic church. So God called us to be his witness here in Domžale. But from those 12,000 people, we don't know anybody. over and our kids went home and he said can my daughter go with your daughter so that I can read this booklet alone and I was surprised even more so he read it and he came after half an hour and said this was really good booklet do you have something like a Bible study and I said oh yeah we have every Thursday at 6 we are gathering and we talk about the Bible and we study the Bible. And he said, I will come. And he came. Finally, we can see how God is using us to reach other people. God is calling Domžale to be the home of joy and peace 
in Christ Jesus. We want to invite you to be part of this because we believe that prayer can change Domžale, prayer can change Slovenia and the whole world. And let's pray together for this town and let's see people's lives changed. Let's see how God is pulling them from darkness into the light. so thankful for the tangible reminders of God's mission of redemption and the invitation to all of us that have been redeemed by him to be his representation in our circles of influence. At times when we're a part of a church that is on mission, I think it's easy to, to celebrate and acknowledge what God is up to without taking the time to actually ponder in what ways are we actually living on mission, living intentionally with the gospel. And if we aren't, why aren't we? Or maybe I can say it this way, uh, why is it easier at times to think, yeah, we are such a generous church without asking if we individually are actually living with our hands open? or each of us being generous? Or we are such a serving church without contemplating if we're each actually individually serving others with no expectation of return. That maybe what you realize is there currently is nothing that you're praying about our burden for that is in step with the mission of God, for the glory of God, that only God can do. And through the years of walking with people and talking with people, I've noticed that for those that are not regularly living with a missionally minded gospel intentionality, there are oftentimes a couple of things at play. One would be that so many of us are preoccupied with the busyness and the hecticness of everyday life without realizing the opportunity to put the gospel on display in the everydayness of life. Like that's the beauty of the gospel. For many, and possibly you, what you might say this morning is, Jason, the urgent things continue to crowd out and push back the most important things. And if I'm honest, that's not just a two-week busy spot. It's not a quarter that's been busy. It's that without some intentionality and reflection, I can look back over years and years and years and years, and it would be true of me. The urgent things are always pushing back the important things. And I think secondly, there are so many of us that are simply weighed down by the worries of this life. There is a anxiousness about how things are going or how things will go that keeps us from stepping into the kingdom opportunities that are all around us. So your doubts and your personal crisis and concerns about today, your overwhelmness about the future, take up all of your mind space. And the older I get and the more I read and process, um, a lot of it is around worry and anxiousness because I'm talking with a lot of people that are just very worried and very anxious. Life has a way of bringing that to the forefront. I have my anxious moments in life too. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for authors that I've read. I'm thankful for sermons that I've heard. But the words that have actually comforted me the most and encouraged both my heart and mind in regards to anxiousness and worry and the busyness of life are not the words of an author or the words of a pastor. They're actually the words of Jesus himself. And I'm glad that we get a chance to look at those words today and ponder them. I was thinking about this this week. How, 
how incredibly kind of Jesus that when he shows up, part of what he addresses is worry and anxiousness and the craziness of life. Isn't that very kind of him? You don't have to wonder. You don't have to guess. You don't have to try to figure it out on your own. You don't have to navigate it alone. Jesus is going to tell us the cure for worry and anxiousness and the busyness of everything. Matthew chapter six, if you'll turn there in your copy of the scriptures, and as you do, I'll just say this to kind of set up our time. In the gospel of Matthew, Jesus was speaking to Jewish people whose lives in some ways had been taken from them by the Romans. If you read and study and listen to others who know this time period well, you would read and hear about how the Jewish people were being taxed beyond reason. Their children were being indoctrinated by the philosophy of the Greeks and the Romans. Their religious leaders that they should have been able to turn to for guidance were totally corrupt. And they're being used by the Romans to manipulate the people and the whole thing is pretty messed up. So if you are Jewish and you're looking for a Messiah, you probably had an agenda for the Messiah. If you could find him. Like maybe he would get rid of these Romans Maybe he could also do something about all these taxes. Also, there seems to be a good bit of ceremonial uncleanliness. So if Jesus is the Messiah, he could, he could really turn this thing around for us. But it's interesting, Jesus didn't let their agenda become his agenda. Instead of feeling the pull to get involved in all the hot topics of the day, Jesus begins to teach them the way of the kingdom of God. And this is what he says, chapter six, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. So hit pause there for just a second. We're picking up here in verse 25 and you see that word therefore and that means that something is said previously is tying into what is Jesus is now saying. So here would be the quick recap of what Jesus had just said before he gets here to verse 25. Jesus had said in his kingdom that there was no place for idolatrously serving wealth and stuff. He said, you can't truly follow me. Jesus says, those that attempt to just store up earthly treasure for yourself, well, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna be. Now, here's what you might be tempted to do in this moment. What you might be tempted to do is go, yeah, 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 I know. I've heard actually some guys talk about this before and I have a lot and you're right, I probably need to give some away. But I want you to understand that that's not what the crowd listening to Jesus is primarily thinking. It is not what they're primarily processing. They are not thinking, yeah, Jesus, you're right. We have so much, we should probably give some away. So I don't fall in love with all my things. For so many listening to Jesus' teaching, things are tough. Hard, tight, lean, we can't pay our taxes is what they're thinking. This whole Roman control over us, like it's not working out too well. And Jesus says, hey, don't worry, don't be anxious about your life. Now I think this could have the potential, think about it if you would, like if, if everyone was just really struggling and we're not sure how we're gonna get by and then Jesus shows up and says, don't worry about that. Like that could come across as a little insensitive, couldn't it? A little offensive to those who are listening. I mean, many of the people who are listening in Jesus' day, they're in the agricultural trade. They've sold their land and they're working the land for the person that they sold it to. So what I'm trying to articulate is for those that are listening to Jesus in this moment, their daily need being met is a really big deal. And I'll just say this for us, because I think it's good for us to be reminded of, this is still true all around the world today. So much of the world lives day to day. I do my job, I get my earnings for the job, I buy my food, I eat, I get up, I do it again tomorrow. And that's my life. And that was their life when Jesus says what Jesus says. You're telling me not to worry? Like people in Jesus's day, what I'm trying to articulate is would have had just as much anxiety and worry as we have. We sometimes think that life would have been easier in the first century because times are simpler back then, but it's not true. There's no safety net. You're telling us not to worry? 
It's exactly what Jesus says. He says, don't be anxious. And then he gets real specific. Look back at verse 25. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. So Jesus says, don't worry and don't be anxious. Whether you're freaking out about the essentials to sustaining life, like food and water, or the non-essentials in life, like what you might wear or how you might look to other people, don't be anxious about that. And what I love here, what I love about what we're discussing today is it's so relatable. All of us can relate to this. There are some of you listening this morning that are anxious because you really do need to figure out how you're gonna pay the bills. This season that we are in has really impacted you. The realities of day-to-day life. I know that some of you have lost your job. I know some of you have been laid off. I know some of you have been furloughed. I know some of you have been looking for employment and you can't find employment. And what I would hope, I would hope these words of Jesus would be an encouragement to you because they are to you. Don't worry. I know you're on the edge. I know how much is in the bank account. I know where it looks like things are headed and I don't want you to worry about that. And these folks that are listening to Jesus talk on this day, like they've gotta be thinking to themselves, well, this is some Messiah. He's totally out of touch with reality. You're telling us not to worry? Jesus, that's all we do, we worry. And again, what's so great about talking about this passage in this moment is I believe there's an application here for any and all of us because even if you can pay the bills currently, For most everyone, you still live in this world of what I call survival mode. So we spend time thinking about the future and are we gonna have enough? So it might not be in the moment, like I know I can pay my bills right now, but I'm thinking about the future constantly. And not am I just gonna have enough, am I gonna have more than enough? And not am I just gonna have more than enough, am I gonna have more than other people? And in our culture, we find ourselves saying or believing, how will I get ahead and how can I stay ahead? And what is the measurement of knowing if I am ahead and staying ahead? And listen, it's not just finances. Maybe you're single and your thing is, will I ever get married? Like that's the drumbeat of your heart and your mind. If I get married, will I ever have kids? Because sometimes it's hard to have kids. And if I have kids, how are my kids gonna turn out because this world is so jacked up? And we have all of these concerns that take up our mind space and they seem uh, so urgent to you. But what you would also say is it's not life or death. But you've got all of these concerns that's just on your mind all the time. So the idea of living on mission The idea of being intentional with the gospel in your circle of influence where God has placed you, it's not even on your radar. And if you're here today and your mind just won't quit because of all the worry and the anxiousness and the hecticness and the busyness of life, do you know what Jesus would say to you this morning? He would say, don't worry about that. That's what he would say. He would say, stop being anxious about that. The implication is Jesus saying, you have allowed your life to be wrapped up with concerns that have so squelched your kingdom focus that everything is about you and everything is about your needs. And people that are listening to Jesus on this day, it's like they finally take this step back. And I think they think maybe Jesus has lost touch with reality. And he asked them a very penetrating question, which I love. Because it's not like Jesus just looked at all of them and said, stop it, right? Like that's never the motivation, just stop it, right? What I love about Jesus, and if you read through the New Testament, uh, there's a whole lot there and it's never just stop it. There's always a motivational piece, yeah? So this is what Jesus says. Look back with me if you would. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? It's a great question. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus says, isn't there more to life than staying alive and taking care of your needs and taking care of your wants? Is it possible that there is so much more to this life than what you are spending the majority of your time thinking about, obsessing about, and worrying about? And if there is more, 
to life than that? Don't you think we should be thinking about it? And if there is more, then maybe whatever that more is should get a little bit more of our time and a little bit more of our mind space, more of our concern. If, if there is a God that is in control of all things, and if there is a God that holds the universe in his very capable hands, instead of worrying, shouldn't we be getting in on whatever the most important things are and not just living urgent thing to urgent thing, worrying about this thing, being anxious about that thing? If somebody were to follow you around all day tomorrow or follow me around all day tomorrow and they were to listen to everything you said, they observed and looked in on how you spent your money they were able to look into your mind and your heart at night when you're laying in the bed, when you're driving down the road in your car and you have that discretionary time available to you. What would they conclude are your greatest concerns? And isn't it true, if we're honest, for most of us here this morning, they would conclude that what we spend the majority of our discretionary time thinking about are the two things that Jesus just alluded to. Survival and or people's perception of us. Getting ahead, staying ahead. Getting ahead, staying ahead. What's gonna happen next? What's gonna happen to our children? What's gonna happen? What's gonna happen to my family? What's gonna happen to my life? What's gonna happen to my finances? What's gonna happen to my family? What's gonna happen to my life? What's gonna happen to my finances? So some of you would be better off just to post that on social media because that's actually what you're saying when you post about all the other things that you're posting. You should get up every morning and you should just get out your social media, whatever you prefer, and you just need to put in there, I'm freaking out. <laughs> and let everybody like it, heart it, cry face, whatever. Because underneath all the things that you're posting about is this. Jesus goes on to lay out this illustration in verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Birds are great creatures. I'm not sure how many of you sit around and think about what animal you would like to be. That's what I do with some of my discretionary time. Bird, <laughs> birds high on the list for me. I don't know if it is for you. I think it's just the escapability factor. I'm in on that. Uh, we, don't even, we don't even think in the way that Jesus is speaking here. We don't think of God being the one who feeds the birds. We think that birds do what birds do. They migrate, get some food, head back, get some more food, it's all programmed in. They can get some twigs, build a little bird home for the little bird babies. But how, not to be overly simplistic, how do you think they learned that? And Jesus is saying, if God can teach a bird to take care of itself and be fed, then what in the world are you worried about? As a matter of fact, look at the question he poses. Are you not of more value than they? Do you know why Jesus says you don't need to worry about your basic needs in life? It's not, listen, it's not that he's not concerned. He's not advocating being irresponsible where you just say, well, I'm just gonna sit in the house, see what happens. Like, don't tell your spouse tomorrow, I'm not going into work, I'm quitting because Jason said yesterday, like, he's got it, it's totally fine. Well, hear what I'm not saying, right? Do your job, be responsible, do a great job. But what Jesus is saying is don't wrap your concerns around this stuff because I am gonna take care of you. Verse 27 says, look at it, and which of you by... Being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life. Jesus is like, go ahead and worry. What do you gain? Well, some uh, ulcers, some trips to the doctor. Time Magazine reported, this was years ago, that Americans gulp down seven tons of sleeping pills every day. There was a Harvard Business Review that reported that stress-related symptoms account for over 50% of all medical office visits. Like we are literally worrying ourselves sick. So what do you gain? Well, I don't really gain anything, but I do have the opportunity to waste a lot of time when I worry about everything. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You're sitting at home and your spouse asks you, what are you thinking about? Because your spouse can tell that you're somewhere far away in your mind. 
But you look at your spouse and you say nothing and you lie because you don't want your spouse to know that your mind space is not given to your spouse or to your kids or family time or whatever the case may be. You're a million miles away. And Jesus says, what do we gain by living that way? We gain nothing. Worrying adds nothing. And all of a sudden this command to stop worrying, it doesn't seem so crass. It doesn't seem so insensitive. It starts to make sense because you can't add anything by worrying, Jesus says. And then he gives us the second illustration in verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So you just look around this world, like even the, the backdrop on all the songs we're singing, like so pretty, right? All the, all the beautiful footage, the mountains and the things. He's a fashion genius. The flowers Jesus, in the illustration here, the flowers that Jesus speaks about are ordinary field flowers. They're red poppies. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of them. They're beautiful. They still grow in that part of the world today, like a wild grass, and they're used as fuel for baking bread. They would gather it, cut it, let it dry, put it in the oven, light it. It would heat up the oven enough, pull that out, put in the bread, you got your bread. And even though the grass was good for nothing, other than making fire, God dressed it beautifully, more splendid than anything Solomon put on. And again, it's just another way that Jesus is saying to those that are listening in on that day, and I think saying to us today, your heavenly father has it covered. It's not a big deal for him. And then verse 31 gets really interesting because this is what he says. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. That word seek there is the idea of uh, fanatically seeking. Jesus is saying, look at the people. I want you to look at the people who don't know that there is more to this life than this life. I want you to observe those that are locked in on the here and now, my 70 or 80 years on this earth, and then I'm gone. The ones who think there is no light at the end of the tunnel, those people spend their lives fanatically seeking after all of this stuff. And they are the ones spending their lives wondering if they're gonna have enough and not just enough, more than enough. And the implication is simply this from Jesus. That is not, as you observe those people, that is not kingdom living. You are a child of the living God and he can handle that stuff in his sleep. The stuff that you're worried about, anxious about chasing, he can handle it in his sleep. He can do better with animals and nature. Can't you observe, can't you see? You don't have to worry about it. Let those who don't know that there is anything more to life worry about all of that stuff. And you might be even wondering in the middle of all of this, like why this passage for Advance the Gospel Sunday? And I think we're getting at it here. The overly anxious person has a difficult time serving with no expectation of return because life is about all of their concerns. It's hard about being, it's harder to be about other people and advancing the gospel when you're the center of everything. And Jesus is saying, when we allow our concerns and thoughts to be consumed with these kinds of things, things that God can and will take care of for us, then you don't have space for the things that you should be about. And he tells us what that looks like in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. You see, it's a comparison. Instead of trying to make sure you get all of your needs met, worrying about the future, how much is, is enough, Jesus is saying, I want you to make your number one priority. I want you to make your number one pursuit in this life, my kingdom and my righteousness the passionate pursuit of me. Seek here uh, does not mean to look for. It means to concern yourself with. So Jesus says, just as this lost world is so consumed and concerned with stuff, 
the comparison is, I want you to be that much more consumed and concerned with my kingdom, my righteousness. Seek my kingdom and my righteousness. And righteousness is what Jesus has actually been talking about all along here in these chapters of Matthew, known as the Sermon on the Mount. As a matter of fact, earlier in Matthew 5, he had said, uh, verse 20, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And that righteousness, just so you know, has nothing to do with keeping rules or rituals. It has to do with relationship. It has to do with our relationship with God, which alters our motivation for the things that we do. To seek his kingdom is to seek his work in the world. To seek his righteousness is to live a life that leads others to him. A righteous life seeks the highest good of other people, whether they're your friend or whether they're your enemy. And I think Jesus is saying, look, does anybody out there have time for that? The important things. Not the urgent things that are crowding out the important things, the most important things. Does anybody have time for that? Do you have time to be about other people, serve others with no expectation of return, to live on mission in the places that I've put you? Do you have time and space on your list for the things that I'm about? Anybody out there got room for people who don't even have <laughs> my word in their language yet? Anybody got time for some missionaries that actually do need some support and encouragement? Anybody got time for a summer of mission work or a week of mission work? Anybody got time for students that don't know me yet? Anybody got time for children who are biblically illiterate and we're wanting to see them grow and learn? Anybody got time for that neighbor, that person at work that doesn't know me, that by the way, is chasing after all of those things? Because here's what's true of your neighbor and your coworker. They are currently living life wondering if they have enough. And not just enough, more than enough. People like to call it the American dream. That's what's going on. And as you interact, what do they see at the house next door? What is their observation of the cubicle next to their cubicle? If you're a student, what, what do they observe when they look one desk over? Jesus says, is there any room left on your concern list or is your worry bucket too full of all your stuff, stuff that I can handle? Is my kingdom your number one concern? He's saying, I don't wanna be added. I'm not an add-on. My kingdom, my righteousness, seek it. Concern yourself with it. Be about it. I know what your things are. I'll take care of your things. Um, years ago, I stepped out to plant a church. I don't, know, Charlie, I don't even know if you remember this or not. One of the last messages I ever taught here before I left to plant Summit was around this idea of advancing the gospel and advancing the kingdom. And I remember that I spent a lot of time in this text. And I left, and when I left, uh, the church didn't really uh, exist. There were a few people meeting in my living room, but there wasn't, uh, there wasn't a, a summit that I went to. It was gonna, Lord was gonna do whatever he wanted to do with that. And I was done here kind of into December and it was January. And one night in January, so I just uh, 
stepped away. Uh, I'm usually a pretty good sleeper. I think it's one of my spiritual gifts. And uh, that's a joke. I don't think that's a spiritual gift, if anybody's wondering. Uh, but I'm a pretty good sleeper. And uh, I remember so vividly, I sat in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning, I sat straight up in bed. And I said out loud, quietly, so that I would not wake my wife. These were the words I said. What in the world have I done? That's what I said. What in the world have I done? And I'm here to tell you in that moment on that night, this passage, the Holy Spirit just to my heart, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. I know what your things are. I know you figure out how to pay, I, I get all that. What are you praying about that is in step with the mission of God for the glory of God that only God can do? Even in this weird time, I would just say, especially in this weird time, what an opportunity we have. Don't you see it? God is so sovereign that your life on this planet is playing out at this time for his kingdom purposes. If we wait to be about God's kingdom until all the crises are gone in our life, it's never going to happen. But when we give him every part of our life, even the parts that might tempt us to worry and be anxious, because that's what he asks us to do. He's good with that. He's got that. And I hope you hear what I'm saying today. Like I know for some of us in the room, like worry and anxiousness, is a, it's a real thing. I'm not trying to minimize it. I hope you're in no way hearing me say as we leave today, stop it. What I do hope you hear are the words of Jesus to you. I know your things. This is what he says. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of, these, all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Isn't that great? Jesus says, I know what your deal is and as you prioritize the life I've called you to, seeking first the kingdom, I'm keenly aware and able to handle the everydayness of your life. I know what your things are and I love you. I got it. If I could offer just a practical word here at the end, it would be this. In regards to seeking first the kingdom and seeking his righteousness. Be intentional with the word. What is the spirit of God saying to you through the word of God about the beauty and the hope of the gospel? If we are to be a people seeking first his kingdom and seeking first his righteousness, a people who are concerning ourselves with that, it will be from a place of regularly hearing from the Spirit of God through the Word of God for ourselves. Center your day around that. Secondly, I would say be intentional with your time. A simple question would be, how are we investing our time that the gospel might continue to be put on display in our spheres of influence? Where are your spheres of influence? This would be one, one of your spheres of influence. If you go here to fellowships your home, this is one of your spheres of influence. How are you stewarding your time here? It's always this line we walk in pastoral ministry. We're not asking you to serve just because we need bodies. We know that as you step in and serve other people with no expectation of return, you grow the gospels put on display. Like that's how it works. I would also say be intentional with your relationships. Who are you inviting into life with you that they might see the gospel through your life? Who are you inviting into life with you that they might see the gospel through your life? And lastly, be intentional with your generosity. How are we living with our hands open that the gospel might continue to advance? As we've done this core value series, at the end of every message, we've given 60 seconds just for quiet reflection. And they're gonna leave these on the screen so you can ponder them, but I'm gonna be quiet for 60 seconds so that you hear from the Spirit about maybe what it is the Spirit would have you do in regards to seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness.
I read where Tim Keller once said, the church does not simply have a missions department. It should wholly exist to be a mission. My prayer is that you've been reminded of that today. To join God on his mission of redemption. That's an invitation to all of us in the everydayness of life. So what are you praying about and stepping into that is centered around the mission of God for the glory of God that doesn't happen unless God shows up. May we be, uh, continue to be a church family advancing the same gospel that someone shared with us. Because that's the deal, right? Every one of us has a story of grace if you're here today and you know Jesus. And central to your story of grace is someone who cared enough to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. To see the gospel advance into your life that we might be a part of advancing the gospel.